Hello, I'm Gwenna Lathland, and this is the Mama Cusses Podcast, the podcast dedicated to all the cussable moments in parenting. Disclaimer, the Mama Cusses Podcast may have curse words, profanity, or adult topics. Okay, it will definitely have those things. If you have sensitive littles listening with you, now might be the time to pop on those headphones or go hide in the bathroom with your grown-up juice. This week's episode carries an additional disclaimer. This week we'll be discussing medical needs and vaccinations. Nothing said in the show should be construed as medical advice or opinion. Concerns and questions about your health and well-being should be asked of your doctor, pediatrician, or family physician. Additionally, portions of this episode may be triggering for some listeners. This includes discussion of infant loss, childhood injury, and child hospitalization. If you feel these might be triggering for you, my feelings won't be hurt if this isn't the episode for you. All right, let's get this shit going. Today, I am joined by someone whose intelligence and passion intimidates me. So just know that going in. If I sound like a moron, it's because she is a fascinating human being. Today, we're talking with Dr. Savannah Sparks. She is a board-certified pharmacist. She's about a half second away from becoming a board-certified lactation consultant, which is amazing and will probably be its own episode later. Hashtag previews. I am thrilled to have her on the Mama Cusses podcast. Savannah, how are you doing? I am doing very well. I'm a little nervous, but I am so thankful and appreciative that you invited me to be on this podcast. And I honestly can't believe it. (laughs) That's awesome. So today, this episode is, it's going to draw some lines in the sand. Um, Because either you are going to be listening, going, yes, Gwenna, yes, yes. Or you're going to be like, well, fuck you too. And never listen to me again. In which case, bye. Because today we're talking about vaccines. And uh, Savannah, again, she's a pharmacist. So if there's a human being who knows how to deconstruct the flavors of bullshit the anti-vaxxer camp has constructed carefully, artisanally, actually. It's this woman. So, Savannah, you and I met because I made a post about vaccinating crotch spawn and like 100,000 people tagged you in it. I know. (laughs) Tell me your favorite argument you hear against vaccinations. My favorite argument would be... Yeah, or least favorite. I mean, however you want to phrase that. <laughs> well, so the one that I hear most often, and it is so misunderstood, people say all the time, vaccines cause autism. Fuck you, Wakefield. Oh my gosh. That name just honestly triggers me. Anytime somebody <laughs> wants to bring up autism, autism spectrum disorder, or any other behavioral disorders that stem from that original study... My head just wants to explode. Let's make sure that there is a quality sound bite. Vaccines do not cause autism. Just so we're clear. Yes, they do but not. But why if after all of the accredited journals and several studies that came on the heels of Wakefield's study have come out and said, yeah, that is a whole load of bullshit. Why does that persist, do you think? 
honestly, I think it's because we're in an age of instant gratification with social media and the internet. You can Mm -hmm. Google anything to fit your confirmation bias. You can find Facebook groups that will agree with you. And if you get enough of these people together, then you have just created this echo chamber that they think that they're right just because a ton of people come in and say, oh yeah, me too. So it must be right. Well, and there there are the unfortunate cases where there are people who are autistic, there are parents of autistic children, and they got their vaccines. Most of those parents would be like, well, that's not why. But do you think the fact that autism and vaccines continue to exist side by side, do you think that's fueling the fire? Well, and, and it's not just autism. Most of the things that parents come forward and say, my child suffers from this because of the vaccine, regardless of vaccination status, are most likely to crop up around the same time mm-hmm. as vaccination. So usually in the first one to two years of life is when these things typically either get diagnosed or you start seeing signs for it. Right. Um, so it's in on an individual basis, it's really easy for somebody who hasn't spent the time studying this and doesn't really understand statistics that they see, oh, well, they got vaccines. And then a few days later, they stopped talking. It must be autism and it must have started because of the vaccine. And then right. they go on the internet and find people saying similar things. Um, and when they don't really understand how you'd have to be able to blow that up on a bigger scale, hence mm-hmm. studies that either confirm or deny that. And there are no studies that show any sort of association with that. Right. It's a causation versus correlation thing. Right. One was not related to the other, even though they happened very close in timeline. Correct. All right. I confess um, and I'll, I'll have an article up on my blog that kind of details it. I am a former anti-vaxxer, but only by way of apathy in that my ex-husband was a rabid anti-vaxxer, told me shortly after our daughter was born, uh, all of the bullshit reasons, the herd immunity stuff, the, the binders and the allergies and vaccines cause autism. And I went, oh. Oh, I didn't know any of that. Maybe we shouldn't right. vaccinate her. And, and then I just scary. didn't. Yeah, it does. It does. When you're 23, you're post-hormonal. You're not even post-hormonal. You're wildly hormonal. You're postpartum. And all of this information is being thrown at you when you've literally never thought about it before. And so when I left my husband, I was like, well, he was wrong about literally everything else. Let's check this out. I caught my daughter up and my two youngest were vaccinated right on schedule. In fact, as of the time we record this, we are going for our flu shots on Friday. So when I say all the vaccines, I mean. (laughs) And, you know, honestly, touching on the postpartum period, um, the I think the one facet about the anti-vaxxer movement that makes my blood boil to the point that I could cry about it is that. (laughs) These people prey on new mothers mm-hmm. because they know they know this this process of after you have a baby and those mm-hmm. hormones are surging, especially if you're breastfeeding. And, it, you know, it's like you can't even think straight. And then you have people that prey on those vulnerabilities mm-hmm. that are like, you want to do the best thing for your kid. Right. And a new mom is like, hell, yeah, I want to do the best yeah. thing. And they also do this five seconds after a report of an infant loss. 
yeah, they prey on those emotions that, yeah. well, that your baby died because you vaccinated them. And then they feel like shit. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's the one thing about this whole movement that is so inappropriate and so disgusting that just motivates me even more to destroy these people. <laughs> I definitely got it with my first. And while by the time my second two, because I have twins, I was well armed, but that didn't stop them from in my pregnancy boards. I was one of the earliest in the group to have my children because we were all supposed to be due in October. I had twins in extenuating circumstances. So mine came at the very end of August. They were fine. They weren't preterm. They were just early. And man, those anti-vaxxers pounced like it was lightning strike. They are relentless. They they are. I mean, it's it's difficult a lot of times for me to be able to tackle it. And I I think one of the number one comments that I get in my vaccine related videos is that or pe- people say I don't know how you do it because these people are relentless. And I'm like, you know, some days it really. I've had more than one instance where I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. It causes <laughs> me so much anxiety because I care so deeply about mm-hmm. public health issues. That's what I've dedicated my life and my career to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it, it is pretty overwhelming because they, their appeal to emotion mm-hmm. is so heavy that it's just very difficult some days, especially if I'm feeling down. I'm not at my best. It's like, it's very hard to engage. Well, it becomes less about the science and the evidence, which is still, there's a lot wrapped up in the science of vaccinations in that I don't understand how they're made. I just understand that they work. And so for people who come from outside the scientific community, that feels like, especially in that that early postpartum period, that feels like a lot to swallow. But I also don't know how my fucking canned peaches are made. I have a pretty good idea, but I still fucking eat them. So... It's because this whole movement has made it seem scary, even down to posting the ingredients that they themselves don't even really understand how they're synthesized, where what their sources are, Mm -hmm. and but they post them because it's got you know seventeen letters and that whole that's that that's a hard word, so it must be dangerous. It's like everything, everything's meant to be scary. Yeah, I see when I post my my anti-anti-vax videos and content, I see the, oh, well, you're just dumping your child full of chemicals. Really? Did you breastfeed your child? Cool. You pumped them full of chemicals. Yeah. Because breast milk is just chemicals if you break it down in the scary words. That's exactly what it is. And you know, I'm glad you brought that up because it's like, I don't know how breastfeeding and anti-vaxxers kind of went hand in hand. And it's the I crunchy mom hit, ethos. And, and it was hit. I, it hit me because when I naive me switched career paths from more pharmacy directed to more breastfeeding directed, I just wanted to help support women. I wanted mm-hmm. to help support new moms because like we said, the postpartum period is so difficult with all this new information and people say different things. And the one thing I was not expecting is being an evidence-based healthcare provider in the lactation community because everybody's like big pharma, toxins, heavy metals, vaccines. And I'm like, what the hell? (laughs) And it's like, I feel like I'm like trudging through the mud by myself and I have all these people like stomping on me. And it's like, I, 
it's very, and then it goes back to like, it's very difficult because very few, I, I feel like very few healthcare providers like are as loud. Um, I feel like I'm loud and, and teetering on aggressive or, or blunt about it. Um, Cause you have to be these yeah. people, like I said, they're relentless and they don't shut up. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you mentioned, you mentioned something that I have heard many times. I'm not even in the community and I have been accused of being a shill for big pharma. I how, how, when someone comes at you with that, especially when you're trying to have a conversation with someone who's maybe sitting on the fence, somebody who's been dumped upon by vaccinate, don't vaccinate chemicals, anti-chemicals. How do you address the no science and, and big pharma are not a thing. There are some shady folks in big pharma. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. There's some shady folks everywhere, but how do you address it? No, no, no. I promise you polio and whooping cough are not worth it. They're not making money off this. Well, and it's like, maybe you can accuse like a big pharmaceutical manufacturer CEO of, of this that, you know, CEOs usually in, in the drug industry are shitty people, <laughs> but Savannah, the pharmacist from South Carolina, I don't think is going to get any handouts from big pharma, yeah. especially because we are not reimbursed directly for <laughs> any sort of promotion of vaccines. The company is. Um, so I, you know, aside from my student loan debt, I haven't gotten anything from big pharma <laughs> since I've been licensed, which it's, it's so funny because that, that argument doesn't even make sense that I'm just a big pharma shill. When in reality, if you compare the cost of prevention to the cost of treatment, yeah. if, if I was a big pharma shill, I would not want vaccines because I could, I, if I was a big pharma shill and I actually got money from this, um, I would get a lot more money with having to treat these, these yeah. diseases. There is a there is a, a, a kiddo that got tetanus and was not vaccinated, and I think the entire treatment plan was almost a million dollars. Oh God! Because it's so. I mean, these diseases are debilitating, yeah. and I think it's been this has been an easy movement for anti-vaxxers because they themselves probably have not had to live in an era where these diseases are prevalent in the mm -hmm. community, they don't have to see it. So one of the tools I use when chatting with a mom who's sitting on the fence about whether or not to vaccinate their kid, there is a video on YouTube. I will link it in the show notes. Watch with caution. It's hard to watch because it is a baby with whooping cough. It's a baby oh who, before they were old enough, because whooping, pertussis is one of those that can't be administered very early. They have to grow a bit. They have to gain some strength for their little immune systems to handle this. And this baby could not receive that protection and got pertussis, got whooping cough. And it is horrifying. Graphic. It's it's so interesting that you said that because I actually have a video with whooping cough with a baby with that cough in my drafts on TikTok and I just haven't posted it <laughs> because when I watch it, it is, it's hard, especially yeah. as a mom. Yeah. It, it makes me sick. It yeah. makes me want to cry. And it's like, I struggle with watching the cancer kid commercials. And so this actually sick in distress so baby bad. is it's, just it's awful. If you go into the website and, and choose to look at this video, if you are in a highly emotional state, 
and a parent, um, just approach with caution because it is hard to watch this baby struggle. That's one of the tools I use. I I choose I pick and choose when I show that video. It leads to the next idea that you had mentioned before we started the show. One of the things that you hear a bunch is, well, if your kid is vaccinated, why does mine need to be? Because of that fucking baby with pertussis, you assholes. Right. And and not just that little baby that's too young to be vaccinated, but there are people and, and this this is what kills me too because people are like you just want to push vaccines you don't you you don't tell people that there are risk i i do first of all yeah. i do tell people there are risks there are risks with any medical intervention and it is mm-hmm. important to as an evidence-based individual science-minded individual that risk versus benefit is always part of your informed decision making absolutely um, and so I can totally talk about the risk. I can totally talk about the side effects. I can totally talk about the very rare instances where children are truly injured, mm-hmm. not like Facebook drama, like my kid is injured because his arm is sore. No, there there are very rare instances where they are injured, but it's, it, it's just a, like you said, it's a, for fence sitters, it's a, it's a delicate dance when mm-hmm. approaching certain people and you definitely have to take it individually with how you talk to people. Yeah. Because I feel like there's two, there's two sides to this conversation. One is the annoying. They don't want to actually learn anything. They just want to shit post on your wall (laughs) and have 17 comments and blow up your notifications and tag all their friends and then like make new profiles after you block them just so that they can like talk. Those people aren't interested in learning. They Mm -hmm. just, they just want to hear themselves talk. But then you've got the actual people that aren't anti-vax. They just hear all this shit from the loud ass, loud mouth people. <laughs> and so then you have to tone down because the people that don't want to listen, I'm like, fuck you. Like, I'm, fuck you. Right. I'll, I will troll them all day long. But then there's people and there have been tons of people in my inbox that are like, I'm not anti-vaxxer. I just have a lot of questions and I will talk to them for hours. Yeah. And explain to them how what science says and break down studies and what the statistics mean so yeah. it's definitely an important conversation to have well my husband phrased it this way when when i was talking about getting ready for this particular episode my husband phrased it this way is look every day that you go out with the kids you strap them into their car seats you take all available precautions to keep them safe but ultimately you are strapping them into a 3000 pound death machine and through things outside your control they could still be injured harmed or worse inside that vehicle but at the time you assessed the risk that was going to happen you assessed the things that could go wrong from mechanical failure to dumbasses who don't understand what a stop sign says and you went okay this is an acceptable risk because what i'm going to get out of it food for my family or time out of the house. That is an acceptable amount of risk for me to accept to strap my kids into this car and drive away 3,000 pound death machine. But the minute we talk about preventing things that will kill your kid if they contract it, or if it doesn't kill your kid, it will severely diminish quality of life. The minute we we start talking about, oh, it's just a couple of shots over the course of the first year of their life, and they don't have to worry about getting this disease. And a couple of them, they might have a booster when they're like 10. We're like, nope, nope, nope. Okay. 
I, I don't, I don't get it. And it, and it, I honestly, I think, well, first of all, the majority of these people are vaccinated themselves, which is just astounding right. that they, they, they're vaccinated and protected, but they're going to choose for their children not to have them protected. Right. Um, but they, they've been conditioned, especially in the United States where we are more, we are a more affluent country. Mm -hmm. We don't have to deal with a lot of the issues in third world countries. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we've had a lull in public health for the most part, minus COVID hello, (laughs) that we haven't had to see it and visualize it. But the fact that it's still happening in the U S in different communities and globally in multiple parts of the world where diseases we don't have to worry about here are running rampant in in other countries and it's like how do you tell me especially if you're a mom and you're trying to say that you you don't care about these people why just because you think you're more important than them or i i truly don't understand the and i've had people say that they've somebody told me the other day that why should i burn my child at the cross to protect yours from the fire. I'm like, that it's shocking how often that line is used. I had made a post that, Oh, well, my kid's immunocompromised or my kid was injured by a vaccine or is allergic to the binder, which is possible, rare, but possible. Right. Um, Okay, great. That's all the more reason I need to vaccinate mine. I'm protecting yours by giving my kids shots by preventing them from getting the diseases that your kids cannot be protected from. That's the herd immunity we're talking about. Exactly. But the way herd immunity has been construed is, well, enough people have it, the disease is gone. And yet when my toddlers were infants, we had a measles outbreak and I got a very disturbing call from my pediatrician saying, we need to reschedule your appointment or we need to send you to one of our other locations because we had a child with measles in the office. And because yours are too young to have received the MMR, we can't see them here because we cannot guarantee a lack of exposure, which props to my pediatrician for going, nope, not taking that risk with any of my patients. Because of one dumbass parent. And, you know, these these parents that don't vaccinate their kids and they're like, oh, it's just it's just a little measles. They'll get over it. The majority of people survive. Okay, Susan. But what you don't understand is that the percentage of people that die are pretty much exclusively under the age of five. And Mm -hmm. if you want to see what measles does to a country that doesn't vaccinate due to vaccine hesitancy from global anti-vax movement, um, you can look at Samoa in 2019 where tons of children died Mm -hmm. because herd immunity failed. And the concept that anti-vaxxers like to use is that, well, if we just allow our immunity to work naturally, you know, that's the true herd immunity. Well, uh, wrong again, because herd immunity came from, it's a vaccine concept. Mm -hmm. There was no such thing as herd immunity. That, that phrase wasn't even used prior to the advent of vaccines. It's because of vaccines Mm -hmm. that we can have herd immunity at a percentage level, because there's a sweet spot that a, a population has to be immunized for herd immunity to be protected. Mm -hmm. And that's around 90%. Each vaccine is different, but it's around 90%. But you can't expose a population, 100% of a population to a disease when millions of people would die. It's like, do you understand the 
the argument that you're trying to make when you when you're advocating for that because millions of people would die and that's completely unethical. Right. I mean, totally unethical. Well, but you want to complain about me wanting to vaccinate people? Like I don't I don't I don't get it. And there's even there's even long-term effects. So I being a child of the 80s was varicella was not a vaccine that was available to me in the 80s and 90s. That was that came about after the fact. I had already gotten chickenpox. And I was fine. I was itchy. My mom duct taped the oven mitts to my hands and I got over it. But as a result, I now carry the shingles virus. Now, luckily, there's a vaccine for that, too, that I can get when I'm a little older. But I still run the risk of being reinfected with a different disease because I had chicken pox. Whereas with varicella, you just neither of them have to be worried about now. And that's another thing that people are like, oh, it's just chicken pox. I had chicken pox when I was two. The vaccine didn't come out until I think 95 and I got in 1992. Mm -hmm. um, and while, yes, the majority of kids do recover and are yeah. fine, there are hospitalizations and fatalities with chicken pox mm -hmm. that are that far exceed what you would get with a rare instance of a vaccine injury. Right. Right. So I don't, it's like, I don't, you have to, in, back to risk versus benefit. Mm -hmm. How can you reason that in your mind that you are taking the bigger risk for what? <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah. All right. So this is, this is a good place to pause. We are going to stop just for a sec. We're going to come back on a slightly different topic, still vaccines, but a slightly different topic right after a word from our sponsors. All right, we're back. We're talking with Dr. Savannah Sparks, a pharmacist and very amazingly passionate pro-vaccine giver, supporter, preacher. I don't know. One that is I. Amen. Amen, <laughs> sister. <laughs> so uh, the, the first part of the show, we were talking about our favorite flavors of bullshit uh, and, and speaking with fence sitters. For this next part... I really want to talk about one specific hot topic. I want to talk about the flu shot. I've had a good number of comments on my anti-vax post like, oh, well, my kid's fully up to date except flu shots. I don't. That pisses me off. That pisses me off. <laughs> I, I tend to take a don't feed the trolls position. And instead of responding to each individual comments, I decided to do a whole fucking podcast episode about it. <laughs> I I cannot stand when people are like, oh, my kid's fully up to date, but I don't believe in in flu vaccines. You don't you don't. Believe what does in that mean? Science. What does that mean? Yeah. What is that? Or they'll say I'm not anti-vaxxer, but I don't get the flu shot. I'm like, then by definition, that is an anti-view. And so it <laughs> Like there's no quota, like there's no quota with, with vaccines that, right. okay, if you surpass this number, then you're definitely not an anti-vaccine. Sure. If it's not based in science, right? then I, I, you know, it's, I have to call a duck a duck. You are an anti-vaxxer if you're not getting your flu shot for any reason other than science. Right. Right. Absolutely. Uh, my husband gets his flu shot and he is one of those that just every year, I don't know if it's in his head or what, he reacts poorly and he gets a little, not sick, but definitely man cold level um, after his flu shot every year. I wanted to give kind of the ins and outs of flu shots. The flu shot does not protect you from every version of the flu. First of all, did you know there's versions of the flu? There's strains. That's, that's what they're called in fancy science terms, right? Yes. <laughs> Yes, there are strains. And these strains are predicted. We've got 
a lot of mechanisms to be able to predict what strains of flu will be prevalent Mm -hmm. in the upcoming flu season. And one of those predictions is we base our flu shot off of the flu season in Australia, which happens a few months before ours. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can kind of use their data to be able to say, okay, this is what we think is going to be prevalent in the U.S. and then develop the flu shot based on that. And occasionally, even the best laid science misses. For instance, the year we had H1N1. That popped up not oh, because the absolutely. flu season... Was that, was that related to, whoa, whoa, that one was a surprise? Yeah, it's... That was a novel virus. That was a that was a a mutation that had mutated so heavily that nobody would have been able to see that coming. In terms of like how COVID is a new type of coronavirus mm-hmm. in a family of coronaviruses that nobody expected. Right. Similarly, H one N one was like, where did that come from? <laughs> and so that that yeah that gave that was tens of millions of people that right. that got sick. But and, that means if you get the flu shot. And you still get the flu. That doesn't mean that your flu shot didn't work. It protected you from all the strains it possibly could. But you might have caught one that wasn't covered. Yep. And so that is that is one of the big um, anti-vax positions is that it was only X percent effective. And this, this figure that I've seen this past week. So it's funny because these anti-vax talking points are copy pasted in all of the anti-vax groups. So as soon as it starts circulating... All of the science-minded people know to anticipate it because they hear the same regurgitated bullshit. And so one thing I've heard this week is the 7% figure. And I I think I actually just did a TikTok on the 7% that I believe it was last flu season. We had pretty good efficacy with the flu shot and then it mutated mid-season. And so at that point, I think it was around February or March, we started seeing very low efficacy of the flu shot. And when I say efficacy, I mean at flu prevention. So of course, if the virus mutates to a strain that is not contained within the flu shot, Mm -hmm. you're going to see influenza cases go up. Right. But what, what anti-vaxxers don't focus on is that flu prevention is only one of many benefits of getting your flu shot. If you still get the flu having been vaccinated, which that has happened to me, you still get the flu having been vaccinated, you are less likely to develop and transmit severe disease. You are less likely to be hospitalized with secondary complications such as pneumonia, and you're less likely to die from secondary complications such as multi-organ Pesky shit like that. Yes. And so it's like, even if you got the flu, it's, and like I said, I did, I, a few years ago, I still got influenza despite being vaccinated. And my only thought is I would not have wanted to see how sick I would have been had I not been vaccinated. Yep. Yeah. My story time. So my best friend and I, I had gotten my flu vaccine and ended up with the flu. Well, she had been over And probably caught the flu from me because as with all things, it was that very first few hours she had just stopped by for coffee and I thought it was bad cold. This was before the truck hit you that hits you with flu. And I gave it to her. She was sick with, it wasn't hospitalized complications, but that lasted forever for her because she had not gotten her flu shot that year she meant to it was one of those things where stuff kept popping up and best laid intentions she gets her flu shot religiously now 
I was over it in a few days with just, you know, the lingering cough from the drainage. She was at it for a solid month. Is that completely anecdotal? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> but. Yeah, but, you know, statistics, that is that is what statistics say is more likely to happen having been vaccinated is that you don't you don't suffer as long. It's it, the duration of, of illness and the severity of symptoms are less so having been vaccinated because people think that if you get sick with a strain of flu that is not contained within the flu shot, it's like, well, you know, you, you, you're, you're either sick or you don't, but Mm -hmm. that those facts, those strains that you're vaccinated against still primes your immune system. So that if any strain of influenza affects you, your body kicks in way more quickly because they're like, oh yeah, this sort of looks like this thing that we had a few weeks ago when we were vaccinated. Let's go ahead and ramp up antibody production. You don't have that if you're not vaccinated. That's why disease severity is less so being vaccinated, even though it's a completely different strain. Right. Right. You you touched on something. When you get the flu shot, I, I've heard this. I once thought this, not going to lie. You are not being injected with the flu, right? That's not no. how vaccines work. No, no. Um, and so the flu shot is a dead virus. It is a, um, it's a portion of the DNA, the, the protein that your body, once it's injected into your arm, your body takes that as a foreign substance and mounts a response against it mm-hmm. to fight it. Then as a result of that, you have what's called memory cells that in the event that it sees that homeboy again, it can say, uh-uh, we're going to fight against this. And it goes to war with the flu. My pediatrician called them training ninjas. Yes. <laughs> ninjas. That is a a fantastic way to describe your immune system. And, you know, that takes some time. It it takes Mm -hmm. about two weeks to mount a response. So some people that say, I still got the flu right after I got the flu shot that were tested and they had confirmed influenza, it takes two weeks. So you can totally pick up influenza in that time Mm -hmm. frame that you are not protected. Um, So it's important to understand with timing your flu shot that it takes time. So So here's the other thing is what I hear from some people is, well, I get my flu shot, but I don't want to expose my kid to that. I've also heard pregnant chicks say, "Mm, I just don't think it's safe. Now, as with all things, this is not meant to be medical advice. You should absolutely speak with your personal physician about your personal circumstances. However, generally speaking, are flu shots safe for uh, pregnant and children? Absolutely. The reason being is that the most vulnerable populations of people likely to be hospitalized and die from complications of influenza are, are babies, pregnant women, uh, and also elderly. But yeah, definitely kids and pregnant women. It is safe. A, a lot of anti-vaxxers will point to the vaccine inserts. And anytime they bring up the inserts, I just want to crawl in a hole and cry. Now, because- clarify for me, what are inserts? So package inserts are a um, legal liability that is attached to any medication or vaccine. Mm -hmm. It is a it's a document that lists what is contained within that vaccine or that medication Mm -hmm. Um, side effects, the statistical data that they use, the manufacturer used to get that drug or vaccine approved, um, you know, any known side effects, anything that cropped up in the trials and anti-vaxxers like to use this information, which was not intended for the layperson, mind you, <laughs> yeah. um, 
and say, well, the vaccine insert says that these flu shots weren't tested on pregnant women. Yes, that is correct. However, the package insert data, the statistical data, the the studies that were performed to get that vaccine, that flu vaccine approved by the FDA Mm -hmm. is only one of hundreds of post-marketing studies done on pregnant women and children. Right. Um, and in the reasons for that are plenty, but one of the main reasons that a lot of times medications and vaccines aren't tested to a high degree on pregnant women is because the time it takes to have enough pregnant women to get meaningful data from mm-hmm. would take too long before needing to get product out because you've got mil- you've got billions of other people mm-hmm. who are not pregnant that it's it's another risk versus benefit. They can be science is pretty good at determining okay, well it hasn't been on, done it hasn't been studied in this population but we're pretty sure right that it's safe. And it, subsequently there have been hundreds of studies done on pregnant women that shows that it, not only is it safe, it decreases risk of hospitalization mm-hmm. by over 40%. Yeah. Um, it, it decreases risk of complications in preterm labor. And one of the biggest scare tactics that anti-vaxxers like to use with pregnant women is that it can cause trigger warning miscarriage. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it does not. Yeah. It does not. Um, Which, by the way, know, listeners, just, again, I'll link this in show notes, but there is an episode of Sawbones, which is one of my favorite podcasts that's not my own. Uh, and Sydney goes into a pretty good in-depth review of how medical studies are drawn up on uh, stuff like placebo effect, which is terms that you'll hear thrown around, especially by the anti-vaxxer community. Um, and and what goes into taking a drug, not just from concept, but really from, okay, well, it worked on the rats, to actually being doled out to human beings prescribed right. by physicians. Yeah. So I'll link that episode. For sure. It's pretty, it's pretty fascinating. I haven't listened to that, but I would love to. I love, you know, as, as much as I feel like I know about vaccines and science, you can always learn. Yeah more in-depth things or different things. And yeah, the ethical components with study populations, because you hear that, speaking of placebo, you hear that a lot with anti-vaxxers mm-hmm. that where's the double-blind placebo-controlled trials? Well, first of all, could you please describe for me what that is? Because you probably, you probably don't know. Yeah, <laughs> You probably don't know. That just sounds like a really smart word and you thought you did something, but you didn't. Um, but the next thing is, is that that's you have to actually consider what you're asking for mm-hmm. when you want to, with a placebo, you have a group that is treated and a group that isn't. And no, neither one of these groups know if they're receiving treatment or not. Right. So when you're, and then you have to expose these groups to similar conditions. So when we're talking about vaccines and placebo controlled trials, you are advocating as an anti-vaxxer that you're going to expose children, elderly, sick people, Mm-hmm. A lot of people, half your population that you're studying is going to have no prevention whatsoever, mm-hmm. and you're going to expose them to a deadly disease and watch them die just so that you can turn around and say, look, it works. <laughs> the vaccine works. It's like science is good enough right. that you can predict these things to be able to develop a safe vaccine. And then in the post-marketing analysis, because just because a vaccine or a medication gets approved, the study doesn't 
stop. Right. You have to, obviously, once it's doled out to the general public, you have to continue evaluating it just in case something crops up that you're like, oh shit. And especially with things like the flu vaccine, which isn't necessarily made from scratch every year, but you hit the drawing board every year, having to see what's going to come up, what we think's going to happen. Um, and and where to shift any of the components, those big, fancy, scary, chemically words everyone's scared of for no fucking reason. Take a deep breath of air. You just breathe chemicals. Oh, my God. Um, I hate the chemical argument. I, you know, and it's like half of those chemicals your body already produces and gasp. It's in your breast milk. I hate to tell you that. But yeah, it's like it's it, chemicals in in vaccines in general. It's like they use that as a scare tactic when they're not even trained to do so. And and predicting, like you said, it's not from scratch every year, but it is new strains every year that it's like even though that these words and these concepts are scary to you as the layperson, mm-hmm. the Earth's brightest science-minded individuals are in charge of this and know what they're doing and it comes a time where you need to to put the conspiracy theories to bed Mm -hmm. and trust in public health advocacy that we know what is best in terms of promoting the greater good well and it's it's sheer amount of data available so when you look at the body of evidence that are pro-vaccine, pro-not dying from diseases that we we should have been able to eradicate, but morons like you, Susan, um, are preventing this from happening, um, or at least not eradicated, but made dormant. And we've done that to a few diseases. Um, right. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Uh, smallpox? Did we kill smallpox yet? Small. So, so eradication is a technical right. technical word, and so we have technically eradicated smallpox. Everything else has, is either very close to it. Like polio globally is like 99 point something mm-hmm. percent eradicated. So we can't technically say it's eradicated, but everything else, hep B, homophilus influenza. Um, why can't I think pertussis. of these diseases? Pertussis um, are controlled majority through vaccination efforts in fact uh and and it's it's so funny because anti-vaxxers like to say like oh these diseases were already on the decline prior to the advent of vaccines no i'm pretty sure jonas sulk really didn't feel that way when he was like "Mm, we should tackle this polio shit and neither did africa like six months ago when they just announced their entire region polio free due to gasp vaccination efforts okay uh, it's coming at, at anti-vaxxers from a place of anger is not the best tactic, but it's really hard to do. And, you know, and like I said, I, the way that I approach people that do not want to learn is completely different than the way that I approach parents or individuals that genuinely need good information. Mm-hmm. And so then I tone down my sass. I, I eliminate my cuss words. <laughs> I don't talk to them from a point of condescension. Um, I genuinely just want them to understand and be open-ended to be able to ask questions and not be afraid of being judged for asking them. All right. So we're just about out of time. We ran out of time a while ago, actually. This is going to be a super episode. Great. But I have one more question for you that I did not prepare prepare you for because I don't prepare anybody for. If you were given a microphone, 
What's the one thing you would communicate to a mom sitting on the fence about giving her child vaccinations? Well, first of all, I would validate their concerns. Okay. A lot of people are afraid to voice their their hesitation because they think that all healthcare professionals are going to just like shake their finger at them. Mm -hmm. But what I would say to, to moms, parents, whoever that are sitting on the fence is that, listen, I understand that there's a lot of junk information out there. And when you're a new parent and everything's scary and you don't know how to take care of this brand new baby that the hospital somehow let you go home with <laughs> to be in charge of, like, that's just scary. The second you open that door, that is a scary moment for everybody. Yeah. So I understand. I validate those concerns. Ask the questions that you want answered and be sure that a healthcare professional loves you enough and loves the public enough and loves their career enough and science enough to tell you the truth and to, to direct you into the right direction. Because I am I am not a big pharma shill. I don't really give a shit about vaccine manufacturers. They can go to hell for all I care. I, I just want to promote what I know is best based on what I know about science. And that's all I can. Feelings are not a part of it, but I know that parenthood in general can be scary. So I hope that people can trust people like me to give them solid information and, and feel comfortable asking those difficult questions without fear of judgment. Awesome. Awesome. So you will have heard it in the beginning of the episode. You heard it somewhere in the middle of the episode. But again, none of this episode is meant as medical advice or tools with which to diagnose. You absolutely need to talk to your healthcare provider about concerns, questions, issues you may have, fears, everything. That's what your healthcare professional is there. They would much rather spend three hours answering every inane question you could think of than treat your child for pertussis. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> because it is a debilitating disease. It is absolutely awful. So right. ask your healthcare professional for healthcare advice. I hope we've equipped you with some interesting food for thought or made you laugh because you already know this shit and you're on our page and you just enjoyed us bashing Susan for an hour. All right. <laughs> Damn it, Susan. <laughs> All right. And to actual Susans who listen to me, I, I love you. Apparently you're the new Karens and Karens, I love you too. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Today's episode is brought to you by Pink and Pearl, a mom-owned small business out of my home state of Oklahoma. Pink and Pearl makes the most delicious and beautiful wax melts and aromatic aids I've ever seen. These are handmade and veritable works of art. Seriously, I can't decide whether to melt them or display them. Ultimately, they get melted because the scent combinations Pink and Pearl have created are unbelievable and they actually scent the room. Go check out her brilliant line at shoppinkandpearl.com. Enter promo code MAMACUSSES for 15% off your order of $5 or more. That's shoppinkandpearl.com, promo code MAMACUSSES. <laughs> Me kind of crazy with the way she's treating me. She's a mistreater, a down, dirty cheater, and that's not.